Personal finance is exactly that. It's personal and unique to your situation. So the last thing we all need is a traditional money expert insisting that we follow the same old rigid rules that just don't work for us. Whether you're just starting to manage your money, regardless of your age, or want to hear another perspective on a money topic you already feel good about, this Latina covers it all. Welcome to the Check Your Money podcast with Norma Vargas, where this season I encourage you to be limitless. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Check Your Money. So last time I spoke about whether you should rent or buy and just making that decision. And I hope that that message resonated with some of you because I know I went off on a bit of a tangent about getting out of that imaginary box and about this box. The box are the rules. And the truth about rules, with the exception of the law, of course, is that there's no one right rule. There's no one right way of doing things. And what I mean by this, for example, is you've been taught that homeownership creates wealth and it can, but do what you want. If that's not what you're comfortable with, if that's not what your goal is, that's fine. Who cares, right? Rent and invest a surplus because that can compound and that can fund your retirement. So that's an outside of the box method of wealth creation. Listen, I used to think you had to be married to be in a committed relationship. I I had this just, you know, it had to be this way and it had to be this way. Um, and I, I had this pet peeve about calling people um, that are their significant others, their spouse. Now, if the contractor says your husband, blah, blah, I just go with it. I mean, the old me would have made the correction, especially if the guy was right there. So I could prove some silly ass point. But I, again, this was me living in this box, you know, frame of mind. It took me many years that to figure out that that rule can pound sand. I can be in a committed relationship and not be married or even have a ring on my finger. I can be happy. I can live with my partner, make plans for the future, and not be my old insecure self that thinks, well, we're not married, so I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I took that rule, that self-created one, honestly, and I threw it out. I've grown and I've evolved in my thinking and it's just, it's a freeing experience, honestly, to, to just live outside of that, that box that lives in your head. From a personal pi- uh, finance perspective, which is what you guys are here for, I feel the same about the rules, the old school rules. You know, like, don't tell me what to do. Show me another perspective. I'll be open to it. Show me a list of things that have worked for you or something like that. I might take four out of the 10. Why? Because those are the four that fit into my life or are the ones I feel comfortable with. I'm sure there's a lot of methods that are tried and true, but as technology and life has changed over the last 20 years, so have opportunities and ways to get to those opportunities and achieve those goals. And another thing which leads me into today's episode, don't tell me that I can't do it or I can't have it and you know do it in a particular way. No successful person has gotten there by living by the rules of fitting into that box. So I'm not going to turn this podcast into a buy your house podcast just because I'm an agent now. I I promise. After this, I've got so many other non-housing topics that honestly, my only struggle is deciding which topic to choose from. But it will be non-housing related. Um, But for today, I just want to continue on last week's message And I, you know, again, I spoke about your living situation, whether you should rent or buy, deciding what's right for you. And I also provided a tool to help you figure out from a financial perspective, which one would be right, so to speak, for you. 
Today, I'm going to show you that a mortgage or a refinance is attainable. So don't let the old school personal finance people tell you that you have to have 20% down because you do not. Also, don't let any of the new ones convince you that you're not living your best life because you're living on borrowed money if you don't put a ton down. Nobody has two or three hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, sorry, and, and I don't mean nobody, I mean not many of us have that kind of money to just buy a house outright. So you're going to be living on borrowed money if you buy a house for the most part. And if you don't, I congratulate you. Awesome for you. But here's my no box advice. Do what you want. You should never feel judged. And know that you could buy a house with little to no money down and have a piece of the damn pie. So if that's the rule you've been listening to, I'm about to help you break that rule. The stats and the history. So this this 20% down thing, where did it come from? So the 20% down is about not having to pay for private mortgage insurance, which is also known as PMI. That's charged to borrowers who put less than 20%. Now, PMI is the bank's way of protecting themselves if you end up not paying your loan back. So that's their insurance. Depending on the amount of your mortgage, that could be like $100-ish a month on top of the, um, the principal and interest and taxes and insurance. So depending on the type of loan, once your loan reaches a 78% uh, loan-to-value ratio, your insurance is automatically canceled. Now, I, I'm going to stress this. That depends on the type of loan you have. So you're going to have to check with your borrower when you're getting a mortgage if you end up having PMI, if that's possible for you. Because I, I remember um, refi- trying to refinance at one point some years ago, and the type of loan that I personally fit into, the PMI was forever. So you want to look into that. And that you know that might make or break it for you or not. But considering the economic climate we're in, the 20% rule is dead. And why do I say that? So a survey of a thousand Americans planning to buy a home last year, 2020, um, a survey by the real estate listing site Clever found that 70% of millennials put down less than 20%. 27% plan to put down less than 10%. And a survey by the National Association of Realtors found that 73% of Americans who bought a home last November put down less than 20%. And the fact that people, you know, hear this 20% number, sticking by this 20% rule, um, you've got 42% of non-homeowners right now, you know, renters, saying that low income is a big, in- big inhibitor, inhibitor, sorry, in order to, um, you know, decide to buy a house. But also 37% said that they're not doing it because they don't have enough save for a down payment. So let's talk about that down payment. You're still listening (laughs) and heard what the 20% rule is dead. So I don't need to have any money. Not so fast. You may not need that 20% down payment, but you're going to need closing costs. And that includes the down payment and oh, the closing costs. So the closing costs. All right. So let me, let me just try to break this down. You've got your application fee. You've got your appraisal fee. And some of these costs are nominal. And when I say nominal, I mean like less than $500. You've got your attorney fee, depending on the state you're in. 
you've got an escrow fee you've got an escrow deposit that's going to cover your property taxes and your mortgage insurance you've got your lender fees this is the fees 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 okay prepaid interest that's going to cover the interest between your closing date and the date of your first mortgage payment and then there's a bunch of other fees like your credit report fee your inspection survey cost title search title insurance there's a bunch of stuff okay so the closing costs again can be from like two to five percent ish of your loan amount and again this is all ballpark your specific situation might be a little bit different but i want to get you thinking okay wait a minute so let's say two percent of a two hundred thousand dollar house because that's kind of what i'm looking at wait like that's that's doable. I, I can save that or I have that. That's what I want to get you starting to think. Not, I can't, it's impossible. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to have 20% down. That's just not going to happen. So that's that's the point of today's show. Now, what about your credit score? Obviously, your credit score is important, but you also don't need to have perfect credit to get a house. So if that's what's holding you back, you can do this. You can also strive to increase your score, obviously. But your credit score is important to a lender because they don't know you from a hole in the wall and that's all they have to go on. It's basically your resume. So you show them a good resume, your payment history, and they'll show you a good interest rate. Simple. So it can save you thousands upon thousands to have a good credit score. But you can also do it without it, okay, or without an excellent credit score. Um, The types of loans and... Again, ballpark minimum scores required. You've got your conventional loans. And all conventional means is that it's um, it's able to get purchased or guaranteed by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Um, none of this really matters to a lot of people. They just care, what do I qualify for and how much is it going to be? But I just want to give you the information. So the conventional one is going to be a, about 640. That's the required minimum score. Um, you've got your jumbo loan. There's actually no minimum score for that, but most lenders are going to require a 680. So they may have their own standards. You've got your FHA loan. Now, FHAs, I mean, in my opinion, is the most popular. And that's for borrowers that have kind of like a limited down payment ability. So a, a lower down payment and their credit score might be a little bit um, low. Um, they require actually two mortgage insurance premiums. One is paid up front, so when you're closing on your house. And the other one is the one I talked about that's, you know, let's just say $100 a month. Um, that one actually, so the minimum score from what I found online, um, minimum scores required is 500 with 10% down and 580 with 3.5% down. But the way I see FHA loans, they make you work for that loan. Um, you may not, you know, they may have... Um, they may accept people that have limited down payment ability, like I said, or a higher risk credit score, but the requirements are like kind of intense as far as the house goes. So um, there's something like chip paint that they won't accept. And I don't know, there's, there's a, there, some sellers kind of have a tough time with the FHA loan because they know that the process is going to be a little more grueling than others. And again, this is just from what I've seen. It may not be the situation for you. You may have a house that, you know, that qualifies for an FHA loan with no problem. And um, so that that's an option. And then you've got your VA loan. Again, no minimum score required, 
but most lenders are going to require 680 and the VA loan is obviously um it, it's a loan that's backed or partially backed by the Department of Veteran Affairs. So if you've got a lower score, so let's say you you're meeting that minimum required you're going to pay a little more in interest than somebody in a better score range. So let's say you're between like a 580 or a 669. You may qualify, but you may get a higher interest than someone that's in a very good range of like 740 or 799, like in that ballpark. So that would be a reason to try to increase your score before getting a house. Because if you're kind of like, let's say you're at 669, and you know 670 is what's going to get you a better rate, then you want to work towards getting that 670 because that might save you like tens of thousands of dollars um, throughout the course of the mortgage. So again, that's something you want to think about. You work that out with your with your lender and um, and ask them, you know, what do I qualify for? What What do I need to do to get to a point where I can get a better interest rate? So the bottom line is that you need to decide what's best for you based on what you can afford. The bank is going to tell you what you look like on paper, but only you know what your personal responsibilities or priorities are. So for example, if you're helping your parents financially, that's not going to show up on paper. Or if you've got like some fancy country club membership to play golf or something like that, I don't know, just something you enjoy doing that you know is, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month or whatever, that's not going to show up on paper. So just because they say you can afford a particular priced house doesn't necessarily mean you should get one up to that limit by any means. So you figure out what you can afford and you go from there. As far as the home buying process, what does that entail? Now, I know it's saying it's it's overwhelming, believe me, but it's it's doable. I mean, people do it every day. And as long as you're organized and you've got a good agent that stays on top of things along with you, this process, you can get through sometimes in 30 days, okay? Or even sooner if you're on top of it. So what is, you know, what are those steps? First, like I just said, determine your affordability. What can you afford? What's in your budget? Then you want to get pre-approved. So oftentimes as a realtor, when we go show a house, we may see notes in there that'll say, you know, you can't schedule it unless the potential buyer has a pre-approval letter. They basically, all they're saying is they don't want to waste time um, having their sellers leave the house and whatnot, showing the house if you're not even pre-approved for a mortgage, or we don't even know if you're in the like ballpark of being able to afford one. So that's what a pre-approval letter will, will help you with. Some agents won't even show you a house, um, you know, won't even take you to see houses without it. So like I said, you want to get pre-approved. Um, then you're going to find your house. You're going to make an offer. And I'm going really high level. Some of this stuff gets really deep, but I'm going really high level here. Just so you can understand what happens. Then you order a home inspection. Just, you know, check it out. Make sure everything's okay. Nothing structurally. Um, you know, anything else leaks, blah, blah, blah. Then you're going to go shopping, rate shopping, and choose a lender. So you've got that pre-approval letter, but it doesn't mean that that's who you have to go through. So you want to shop around and you want to see what, um, you know, what rate is best for you. You're going to complete that mortgage application once you found it. You're going to have the house appraised. And then you're going to go through what's called uh, processing and underwriting with the mortgage company. This is probably, I would say, 
the most stressful, maybe, because you're sitting there crossing your fingers and hoping everything goes through, that you've got everything that they need, and that th- this process goes smoothly. And most of the time, um, you know, if you've got a good lender that, that's on top of things, it you know, it can go very smoothly. The type of documents you're going to need are going to be pay stubs, W-2s, any um, details about long-term debt, you know, maybe if you've got student loans or something like that. Um, I remember one time my dad tried to co-sign or try to um, refi his house and he had co-signed on a car for me and he was trying to show them that he's not making payments on the car. Now, as organized as I was, and I was in my early 20s, I literally had every single paycheck, not paycheck, check. So back in the day, back in my day, um, when you wrote out checks, you'd get it back in the mail after they, um, you know, went through their process, they got cashed and whatnot. So I used to save those. Um, and I literally handed him, you know, maybe a year or two worth of checks. I'm like, here you go. You know, had it all saved. So, you know, they, they need proof of stuff like that. Um, your previous year's tax return. Um, and then you're going to need to make sure you've got your homeowner's insurance set up as well. And once that goes through the whole process, and again, when you're going through that, if that lender calls you, emails you, needs anything, I personally suggest you stop what you're doing and get it to them. Because any delay on anybody's part can cause a real big delay later on. So you want to make sure you get them everything that they need. They've got a complete package and then um, and that's it. And then once that's done, you get clear to close and you close and you get your keys and then you, you know, remodel bathrooms or all that other stuff I'm doing right now. (laughs) So, you know, that's the process um, of buying a house. Um, Now, if you want to refinance, it's it's a lot simpler ish. You um, so you're able to kind of like lower your monthly payment. Either they're going to reduce your interest rate, which is, you know, the the best the reason why you would refinance. Um, and it also increases your, your loan term. So now, you know, you kind of extend it out another 30 years or whatever it's going to be. So that might lower your monthly payment now because you're stretching it out a little further. I, I remember back years ago, I refinanced once or twice when I lived in New Jersey and I didn't realize that they charge closing costs and all these other fees to do that. So it you're literally restarting the clock and you're tacking on more principal usually to your mortgage. So it's something you want to think about. But if it's going to save you, you know, three, four hundred dollars a month, it might be worth it to you. So, again, something to think about as far as as far as refinancing goes. So um, that's it. That's the process. That's refinancing. And that is the box. <laughs> and, you know, the, those are those are the, the rules that you either want to break, stick to, like I said, do what you want. Don't don't feel judged. Um, buying a house is an incredible it can be a freeing experience, so to speak. You know, you kind of just feel like, oh, this is mine. I could do what I want in here. This is, you know, it's just that whole my house thing. But it can also be pretty overwhelming. Um, you know, you've got higher utility costs because you've got more space. Let's say you've got taxes, you've got maintenance. Um, 
there's 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 more you know there's more that goes with it than when you're renting so it's something you you seriously want to think about um but you can do this guys like if this is what you want you can do this rates right now are insane i mean if you're listening in january of 2021 this or even february i hope you know it'll still be this low this is this is a great time to buy because of the interest rate you could get more um house so to speak so you can kind of you know get a higher price house because it's all evening out you know um with the interest rate but i'm really excited i'm really excited about being an agent i'm really excited about showing people who have thought oh i don't have tens of thousands of dollars or well you kind of need at least 10 but you know you, I, I'm, I'm excited to help people who really thought you know 50 grand was what they needed in the bank to get that house and so and so they were discouraged by that that by that and not really moving forward and i'm here to tell you you can do it you can do what you want you, you know if you don't have any savings just start saving start saving a little bit of check I mean, years ago, I had started this like automatic savings thing for my ex-husband. And I may have said this before, but I set up a $25 automatic transfer. I swear we were like maybe 23-ish years old. Till this day, that man still has that $25 transfer going from his checking to a saving. Okay. And here it is like, you know, 20 years later. So you can save little by little. You can get this done. You can do what you want. And living your best life is living your personal best life, not the life that everybody says you're supposed to live. Check your knowledge. So do you have to stick to plan A when it comes to a lender? No, you don't. Will it affect your score? Eh, so it depends. Um, so a hard inquiry is what's going to cause your credit score to go down by like five to 10 points on average. If you've got a strong credit history, I wouldn't worry so much about it because it'll take less of a hit. But here's the cool thing. If you're shopping around for a mortgage or a car loan and you obviously want to find the best rate, you're going to have lenders making inquiries in a short amount of time. This will work to your benefit because both FICO and Vantage score they account for this and they actually include a grace period while you're shopping around. So depending on which scoring model is being used, the grace periods either 14, 30 or 45 days. Vantage has a 14 day and um, and it doesn't matter the type of ink of loan it is. Right. So uh, the newer FICO model models ignore uh, car loans, student loans and mortgage inquiries made 30 days before your score updates. Um, and so that's it. I mean, what they do is and even, you know, the ones that groups group into the 45 day period, they basically like group that as one inquiry. So it is in your benefit to shop around. It should not um, do much, you know, make a huge difference to your score because, again, they are giving you that grace period and they're basically bulking it as one inquiry. But check with your lender. Um, you know, you always want to be careful about hard scores. You want to get this done as quickly as possible um, because you don't want to end up, you know, in that after the 14, 30 or 45 days. Um, so, you know, something to think about. Thank you for listening. Be limitless. Thank you so much for listening today. 
I really appreciate your support and welcome your feedback. You can do that by liking, sharing, and rating. I also invite you to check out my website, checkyourmoney.today. You'll find links to my YouTube channel, upcoming blog, and so much more. Don't forget to check your money and be limitless. The information provided in the Check Your Money podcast, associated social media accounts, and website is intended solely for the personal non-commercial use of the user who accepts full responsibility of its use. While we have taken every precaution to ensure that the content of the aforementioned is both current and accurate, errors can occur. We accept no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content. The information provided by Check Your Money and its affiliated entities is general in nature provided for educational purposes only and should not be considered to be legal, tax, accounting, or investing advice. In all cases, you should consult with professional advisors familiar with your personal factual situation for advice concerning specific matters before making any decisions.